The Water Values Podcast, Session 25. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Joey just sounds so good doing the intro voiceover that I've decided to give him the job. So make sure you stay tuned until the end of the podcast to hear Joey's outro voiceover and the all-important disclaimer. Well, I hope you're all doing well. My oldest returned to school last week and started his eighth grade year. I can't believe he's that old already and he's almost in high school. And my wife and I celebrated our 17th anniversary this weekend, so we've had a lot going on. The younger two kids start school next week, so before we even knew it, the summer's gone and at an end. And I hope you all had a great summer, and maybe you're even able to extend it a week or so. Well, I'm really excited about this week's podcast. It's the first part in a two-part series speaking with Allison Castema and Heather Pohl of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission about their rollout and implementation of an Advanced Metering Infrastructure, or AMI, project for SFPUC's water utility. I love what AMI can do for utilities, and the SFPUC is doing something really cool. It's using AMI to help reduce water consumption during the drought in California this summer. Allison and Heather give a great account of how the drought's affecting SFPUC's water system and how they chose the AMI system they ultimately went with, along with some tips for deployment of the system. It's a really fascinating discussion and story to hear, and one every utility should listen to, especially if the utility is considering an AMI system. So enjoy! With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Allison and Heather, thanks so much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. Uh, to start off, why don't each of you uh, tell us a little about yourself and how you got interested in water? Sure. Uh, well, my name is Allison Castema. I'm a communication manager here with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. We operate the Hetch Hetchy Regional Water System, serving about 2.6 million people here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I actually have a background in a couple of things. I did some political campaigns supporting health districts, uh, hospitals, healthcare districts, and schools. Um, so I did a lot of the public infrastructure side of the world. And frankly, I have a degree in French and classical civilization. And today I work on basically what is a Roman aqueduct. So <laughs> it's kind of a very cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. And Heather, how about you? Um, hi, so I'm Heather Pohl, and I'm the project manager here at the SFPUC for the Automated Water Meter Program. Um, I started my career out as an environmental engineer working on remediation projects in the Bay. I just moved to the Bay Area and got very interested in in this, this climate, in this area, and my career path changed kind of suddenly when I hit a permitting delay and filled in for a colleague working on projects for the SFPUC involving water supply planning and developing demand and conservation potential models for future plans for the SFPUC. So that ultimately, as a contractor, brought me over to work for the PUC directly and, and ultimately to the managing the automated water meter program. Well, terrific. Um, well, you can't talk about California these days without hearing about the drought. So. I, Allison, can you talk a little about uh, the California drought and how it's affected SFPUC? Absolutely. You know, California is now in the third um, driest three-year cycle, sort of in the history of the Hetchy water system, at least. Um, we've had bad droughts in the 70s and in um, the late 80s to early 90s. Um, so we've, we've had worse years where we've had less precipitation, but this is definitely a stretch of three years that's been the driest. 
Um, the governors, of course, asked for a 20% reduction voluntary um, amongst anybody and everybody in the state. Uh, luckily, the Hetch Hetchy Regional Water System, we've managed our water so well and we've got great conservation occurring with our customers that we're asking for 10% voluntary and we've been asking since January. Um, all of that is about making sure we stretch our supplies as long as we can. If it's still dry into the winter and into next year, we're going to have to keep looking at other measures and other things to do. But right now we're, we're doing okay with our customers and asking pretty much everyone in our system, and that includes the, the cities and agencies we actually wholesale deliver water to to reduce use across the system by 10%. Okay. And what are some of the tools you've used uh, to try and get the word out to your customers about you know, usage reduction? Uh, well, we've done a number of things. We, of course, have done a, a lot of media uh, response. That's it's a very prominent uh, issue in California. People ask us all the time, uh, newspapers and TV channels and radio, ask us for updates on the, the system and how people are doing in terms of use. We, of course, have also done outreach through our regular mechanisms to our customers, you know, letters to our wholesalers to let them know that they need to aim for a 10% reduction, but also sort of messages on our bills, messages in our customer newsletters. Um, we've reached out to community groups to let them know if they have their own little community newsletter to hopefully put a little blurb in about conserving water. Um, and then the biggest, you know, one of the bigger things we've done um, in addition to um, our automated meter program and giving that information to customers is a very um, bold marketing campaign we've just put out in the last few months to just sort of remind people of the different actions they individually can take. Okay. And you mentioned your automated metering program. When yeah. when kind of did that take shape and start? Well, we've got kind of two things when we talk about the automated meter program. One is our My Account website application, which is a portal for our customers. So if you're a customer account holder in the city of San Francisco, um, and you can go online and look at your bill and payment history, um, as well as now with the automated meters that are installed, you can look at your water usage. We provide them basically a daily snapshot. They can look back. We started this in about uh, early May, so they can look at their water use from the beginning of May on a daily basis to see where they are, what happens on every day, um, does it go up on the weekend, does it go up on Tuesday. So it's a real great way to use what is, you know, basically automated meters and collecting that information through um, just an automated system that we haven't had previously. It's been manual reads um, for a long, long time. Okay, and what, what was kind of the tipping point in terms of when SFPUC decided to move away from manual reads and go to... Uh, automated metering. Heather, that's definitely um, your question, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take that, sure. So it was right about the end of 2007 when the SFPUC became interested in some kind of automation, and, and it was becoming more widespread at that point, um, even with water utilities. So we had about 4,000 or so basement locations that we called lockouts that were difficult for our staff to get inside for collecting the manual reads. And, you know, for those locations, if we couldn't get in, um, first of all, it was very resource intensive to continue to try to get access to some of these locations. And then when you couldn't get in, we were left basically to a bill estimation, which, you know, is based on usage from, from previous bills, is, is, I don't know, even back to like years or years before that. So it's not really good for anybody because we really want the customers to pay for the water that, that is being used, not, you know, an estimate of what they, we think they use based on a, diff, a completely different time period. 
So um, our customer service director, um, you know, had gone to some conferences and heard about meter automation. It was sort of becoming hot in the industry. And so um, she was looking to do a pilot um, to automate this with a drive-by system. So there's a couple of different kinds of meter automation out uh, in the industry. And, and earlier versions of what we installed were, were a drive-by system, which is where you install a radio on the meter, but you still have to do a truck roll. You still have to send your staff out when you're ready to bill, and you drive by with an antenna in the truck, and that's how you pick up your billing rate. So she was looking at, you know, trying out that technology just to see how effective that was in our basements for those lockouts, and then it just became a bigger project. Our commission, you know, she worked with our commission, they decided to actually do a business case and look at the whole city um, at that point. And the business case, you know, evaluated drive-by systems and a fixed network system, which is ultimately what we installed, which is where we put up data collectors throughout the city that collect data on a regular basis daily. And our, our meters send four times a day hourly reads to our collectors. So, you know, a, a business case analysis was, was done to evaluate the benefits of both types of system against manual rating. Um, at the time, we were also billing every two months. So customers were getting bigger bills, um, you know, six times a year. And, um, you know, we decided to go to monthly billing, and that also played a role. So, um, you know, the business case ultimately determined that we had a, I think it, it was between an eight and a 10 year payback over a 20 year system life for a fixed network. And in addition to what you get from billing reads, um, which wasn't really quantified, um, I know utilities have a hard time quantifying, you know, the conservation, the additional benefits of having hourly reads, at least they, you know, back, back in 2007, I think we're getting better at that now. But the unquantifiable stuff, such as now you've got all this data, you don't just need to, you, do, you don't just have to use it for billing. Those are the things you can do with it that we're still, you know, trying to trying to figure out. So that so was about 2007. We invited manufacturers in um, to learn more about the the products out there. We went straight into developing project specifications and a competitive RFP process, um, you know, through which we selected our technology. Okay, uh, you said a couple things in there that I think are. are Interesting. Did you did you say hourly pricing? Hourly reading. Hourly so reading. Okay. We, right. Yes. No. So we get reads from. We basically get your meter read every hour, and it's transmitted four times a day to our system. Got it. Okay. Because I for a second there I thought you might be going to, no, towards time of use pricing. I know some utilities, if they're interested in that, that is something that you can do when you have hourly data. And I know on the gas and electric side, you know, obviously that's out there. But no, I no. From our perspective, we're collecting the hourly meter readings, but we haven't changed our pricing structure. Got it. Okay, and and so you had this RFP process, chose your technology. Kind of what what were you looking for when you were choosing the technology? Uh, I know you, you said you were looking for the fixed network, but what were you looking for? You know, what features stood out to you? Um, you know, I mean, we, we had a set of, of minimum requirements that we knew that a lot of vendors could meet. And, you know, it, it was actually pretty challenging for us to go through the selection process because, you know, typically you're, you're, you've got a service contract or a construction contract or a design-build contract, and they're all – they're all evaluated differently, and cost obviously is a big factor. But you know, the systems, the AMI systems, aren't really apples to apples when it comes to um, the architecture of the way of the network. You know, um, the, the the requirements for the collection systems. Um, you know, the the two different systems that we had, for example, the two top bidders for us. Um, you know, they they worked on very different radio frequencies. 
um, the way they collected their data and sent it up through the networks and the redundancies within the system were very different. And then the number of collectors that you needed um, were also quite different. So at the end of the day, that kind of builds your story. So, you know, it was, for the RFP was really a series of asking the same kind of question about six different ways to really understand the technology, you know, that you're buying. <laughs> Understood. So it sounds a lot more complicated than, than one might think. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Definitely. We, we had a consultant that helped us through the process that was very familiar with the technologies as well. Okay. And so you get to the point you've selected your vendor. Uh, what's involved in the rollout? Oh, boy. Um, well, <laughs> we selected our vendor um, around 2009, and um, we just finished our deployment last August as far as um, our contractor being deployed. Now, we haven't finished system testing and closeout yet. But, you know, there, there are four or five key phases, I guess, um, that I would point out as far as rollout goes. Um, the first is really kind of in, the first is really designing your project, you know. And I decided you're going to deploy AMI. You know, we spent about a year and a half on all of this, and um, that included the RFP and writing the contract. But before you do all that, you have to decide how you're going to structure deploying this with respect to the contracts. Um, you know, some utilities actually buy the equipment um, from because you've got two different vendors here. You're marrying essentially two different technologies: a water meter and an AMI system radio. And you're marrying those together, and then someone else is installing them. So some utilities actually buy the equipment from the two different vendors, and they install them internally. Um, that's not what we chose to do, um, you know, for, for various reasons. One, our size, obviously related to that. We don't just have some. We don't just have full-time resources sitting around waiting to go deploy this equipment. <laughs> they aren't doing anything otherwise. That you know, then what are you going to use them for after the fact? So it's not like it's, it's it's a temporary service that you need to fulfill during deployment. It's not a long-term program. So um, you know, the other reason is really um, just. Just going with the turnkey solution, you know, if you've got delays on either side of, you know, your manufacturers, we had a couple delays on manufacturing on both sides, actually, and one of them was, you know, the floods in, in Thailand, and there was a microchip, and so, you know, those kind of things are excusable, but, um, you know, they hold one side of, or one of the three sides back, and then you start thinking about, you know, liquidated damages for delays and people that are brought on site and don't have equipment. So for us, it was really, uh, it was really obvious that we wanted to do a turnkey solution and to have, I, I don't want to say one throat to choke, but that's kind of really what, what it is. It's like, you know, you're marrying two things together, someone else is install it, installing it. If you don't get your read at the end of the day, it could be a number of factors involved, you know, and, and you really just want to point to one party that has been involved in managing the whole thing and say, I don't know why we're not getting the reads. It could be this piece. It could be that piece. It could be the installation. So, you know, you really have to think that out and how you structure your, your contracts and what internal resources you need. You know, the other thing with internal resources are the roles and responsibilities of your utility, and, and utilities definitely that I've talked to have all chosen a little bit of a different approach based on, based on, you know, their internal resources as they stand before the project. So there's obviously, you know, it's a cross-departmental, um, it's a cross-departmental program. You're, you're marrying, you know, operations, customer service, finance, billing. Um, I mean, there's just so, IT, I mean, there's just many different departments that are affected by deploying AMI and, and it, it changes the way you do business in many ways. And so, you know, who, 
who is really ultimately responsible for that? I've seen meter shot supervisors take on the role. You know, I've seen customer service directors take on the role, you know, depending on the type of the deployment. And I've seen utilities where they just have a stakeholder group and they don't have they don't have enough resources to really um, have have good oversight onto the contractor and the installations as they're going on day to day. Um, what my utility decided to do is bring on a project manager to coordinate everything and to make sure, you know, all the departments were covered and didn't have to take a big piece out of their out of their current existing jobs to manage this, you know, two, three, four, whatever it ended up being year deployment. So um, you really have to think that out and, and decide, you know, who you need involved in the project. Um, and then from there, you know, you're developing an RFP and writing a contract in accordance with those plans. So like I said, that took us about a year and a half, just kind of thinking of how to do it, writing the contract and the RFP, and then now, you, now you've got a contractor. So your next phase is really planning that deployment because now you get this team that comes in with a contract that's been written by others, you know, by sort of their their marketing folks and they're legal and now we go now how do we really how do we really deploy this I mean you, you write some things in the contract you do some planning during contracting but um, how do you guys do this what are the process flows for you to go install a meter what are your communication pieces um, what are the QA requirements that we're going to agree to how do I issue you work orders what tools do I need to do that um, you know we had things we had things in our contracts such as um, we're not going to let you move on to the next route until you finish 95% of the previous route because we don't want to be half, having half routes all over our city. And also we have blackout windows for routes, you know, things we, 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 we can't have them changing meters when we actually need to manual read them because we have to download the existing reads and the existing meter information to our meter readers. So you have to plan around all of that and until you actually sit down and you meet the experts, these people that you've hired that have done this and accomplished it, you don't really know how it works, even though you've written a contract and you, you had a general <laughs> idea. So that really took us that really took us I would say four to six months. I mean we signed our contract in January twenty ten and we didn't install our first meters until June. Um, so there you go, now you're in deployment. Um, we this this for us was almost a four year process, uh, depending on what you consider being completed with deployment, but um, a few a few different things to touch on there. You've got to repair your systems. Um, and I can't stress how important it is to have, you know, IT on board and, and, and you know, very dedicated to your project. Um, you know, we built an entire work order management tool um, that helped the project management team manage the contractor. And because the work orders to go change a meter come from our customer service department. And we couldn't just have our contractor saying, I want a work order from the customer service department. We had a couple different types of work we were doing. We were doing full meter changeouts um, on most of our meters, but on a portion of them, we were actually just retrofitting them for various reasons. So we had to decide what kind of work order it went. We had to, we had to make sure that, that um, it was appropriate for us to send, to send the work order based on, as I was mentioning before, have they actually finished the previous route? Um, have they met all of our requirements for new work? And we, we needed a tool to help us do that. In addition, you know, we changed out 170,000 meters. So we, we had a t this tool allowed us to understand for all 170,000 meters, every, I mean, real time basically, what status was that meter in? Had we not issued a work order? Had we issued it and they haven't completed it? Have they completed it and they're waiting for us to do a QA approval on it? Have they invoiced it? Is it now in warranty? You know, I mean, you get 
invoices for millions of dollars for you know saying they change out x number of meters you had we had we felt like you had to have a tool you know to you can't just depend on your contractor to tell you they've changed these meters without seeing when your system that you've actually witnessed it from cradle to grave so development of that tool was a big deal for us. Um, you know, I've seen smaller utilities um, work off Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, 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 that was very important. That turned into a big deal for us. Okay. Um, you have – sorry? Oh, I was just going to say the Excel spreadsheet approach didn't work for SFPUC. No, I, I feel like I can, I can handle that. I can manage that. Um, so you also have to develop interfaces with existing systems. So we had we had just um, completed a, an upgrade to our billing system, went to a new billing system, and they were you know they weren't even recovered from that. And then I have to you know we had to come get in their face and say, okay, now we need to pull data from it um, to populate our meter reading system. So we have synchronized account information. We had to build an interface so that they could use our data for billing. You know, and that stuff is pretty straightforward, and the vendors know what they're doing. But it, it takes you know. That stuff takes dedication and committed staff and documentation and, and planning. Um, and then, you know, um, deploying the meter reading system as hardware and software. So the actual, it's, it's a whole new software system with multiple um, server environments that you have, you know, test environments, development environments, disaster recovery environments, um, web applications, databases that, you know, that you work with your vendor on basically to set up, you know, all this data that comes in has to be parsed and kept somewhere and kept synchronized and managed and maintained. And you're going to have software, you know, hot fixes and upgrades. So I, so back to, you know, what I first said is there's a lot of IT work. And yes. we were told that from the beginning. And we started off a little light, I'll put it that way, because um, of, you know, just every like every other utility, you have resource issues. And, and then when you really realize that you need it, you bring it in. But the sooner the sooner you can get on top of that, the better, <laughs> and get them in the planning phases. Sure. Um, after you've got your systems all set up, you, you know, what we did first is we deployed our network, which are the data collectors and the fixed network that we, we deployed them all around the city, and then we deployed 10,000 endpoints surrounding them so we could actually test that the network and the software and everything worked before we did a full deployment. And we had the we had a full system test of our of our of our system specifications that you know was like read reception. Did we get the percentage of reads we're supposed to get? Were the reports coming through as planned? If we switched your meter with your neighbors and reprogrammed them, did all that go through systematically the way it was supposed to? So um, our network deployment um, you know was about six months, and then we did a full test on that before we actually allowed the contractor continue. So this is just one of the one of the few um, quality assurance phases that we incorporated into our project when I talked about the planning of all of that. We, we thought about all those different phases and the milestones. And then from there, we went into full deployment, and you get into just really, um, you know, doing everything you can to help your contractor get the meters deployed, you know, access, you know, parking in San Francisco, as you can imagine, was just a real challenge for our contractors. Um, and so we helped them, you know, block streets if we needed to on certain occasions for some of the some of the installations um, that were that were more challenging. Um, you know, and just an oversight on their operations. We did a lot of field QA, and we provided emergency response and, and events where um, you know there would be a pipe break. We had staff ready to respond to that. Um, you know, they they're going to find. The, the contractors find things in the field that you know are out there, but you don't really know where. 
um, you know, meters that are crossed and has been billed inaccurately that you have to go then fix. Um, you know, unexpected deferred maintenance in the field. We found a lot of our meter boxes were offset to where we actually couldn't even get to the valve and change the meter, so we had to go change meter boxes first. Um, you know, 60% of our meters were more than 20 years old when we started the project. So we hadn't been out some, some of these and changed the meters in so long. I mean, we, we really had a lot to deal with as far as deferred maintenance. So we tried our best to um, let the contractors know that up front so they, they could bid accordingly and fairly amongst them, you know, and I, I recommend that definitely rather than just, you know, we gave them some of our problem installs that we knew. We asked our field staff to show us, show us the worst ones you could think of, you know, and that they're going to have problems with. And that's really helped. That really, you know, helped all of us throughout the program. Um, but then, then there's just going to be, the, you know, it's managing all the locations that the contractor can't exchange, um, you know, where you've got other service issues um, that you don't want them, you know, working on your service lines if there's broken valves or customers that opt out. I mean, I know that's a, that's, that's such, that was such a big issue for, you know, the gas and electric utility here in our service area. Um, but we really didn't, we really had great customer reception. I mean, we have about 300 customers, 350, I think, out of the 170,000 we've deployed that are currently on our parking lot. And we've, um, we're still developing plans for, you know, recontacting them again and explaining the benefits to see if they've changed their mind. But we did, we did some uh, homework on that ahead of time, you know, because we, we did a uh, radio frequency study that we posted online where we actually tested our meters, and that gave a lot of people assurance. And we had a really strong quality assurance program, um, you know, that we assured before we moved them to billing off of our AMI system. We did full parallel read analyses with manual reads next to our system reads. So, you know, we, we have about 5% left over at the end of the project as return to utilities. Sorry, that's what we call it our two with our program. <laughs> and, um, that's one of the phases we're in now is now we've got those 5% left and, um, you know, they're not the low-hanging fruit. They're the ones that are going to take us some time to exchange and they're the ones that we have to do internally. But, you know, it's managing all that. You know, we wanted to make sure that there really was no way for the contractor to get the installation done before we actually accepted that back because, like I said, we're not really staffed resource to go changing out meters as regularly. Um, and, um, you know, from there... Like I said, we're, we're at transitioning to our internal deployment, which is the phase we're in now, um, training staff that doesn't change meters all the time, you know, leak trucks that are out there fixing leaks that might they might have to change a meter due to a pipe break. And, you know, the technology is really new and, you know, learning it and making sure that it sticks with you um, with the electronic entry and programming. Um, you know, that's, that's a challenge I think most utilities have um, when they – when they get the system turned over to them, they, you know, turnkeys done, contractors out of here, which we're getting close to. Now it's our job to maintain it. So that's kind of where we are now is, is now we've, we're done with the project. How do we get into a maintenance program? What resources do we need to support this so we don't have to go back to manual reads? Because that happens. You know, if you don't, if you don't have a way to really monitor the health of your equipment and your network out there and um, you need to get the reads, and, and you don't have a way to get work orders out there and staff that's trained, um, you know, your system's going to kind of fall apart. So um, we're planning for that right now, and we're, you know, trying to make sure that we can get that covered so that, you know, we have all this data, especially we get customers signed up for my account and wanting to see their data. We want to, we wanna, you know, keep that continuous. We don't want to have breaks in that. 
So, and then, and then also just, you know, we're at this point where deploying, our focus is really on getting the meters in the ground and deploying it and testing it and, and releasing the contractor from their, from their duties and their responsibilities um, beyond except for warranty. And how do you, now how do you use the data? It's, it, the business case is for billing, but we've got all this data, you know, in my account in the drought and we're at the end of the project now, all of a sudden, you know, it's just, you really need, you really start thinking about the systems that you need to put in place to, to use that data because we, we have such more we have such more frequent data, more precise data, and, you know, we want to offer it. So that's where we've landed. And, and, and as Allison was saying, it's very timely given that, you know, the drought, <laughs> mm-hmm. what we're asking our customers to do now, that we're able to offer this offer this data to them. Yeah, your your customer opt-out rate is is phenomenal. I, that really surprised me that uh, you have that few customers that, that wanted to opt out. Uh, can you talk about the the outreach program a little more? I mean, you, you mentioned you did the radio uh, frequency testing online and things of that nature, but can you talk about some of the how you interacted with your customers and explained the benefits of AMI to them so that your your adoption rate would be fairly high? Sure. You know, we 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 our customers were pretty educated about automated meter reading because of you know the effort that they had already heard about. But what we focused on was just, you know, what was, that there are differences in the technologies and, and that we had, you know, and I, I believe I believe that PG&E offered, um, you know, a lot of feedback and information about radio frequencies, which I think was one of the one of the big hurdles for them. But, you know, we, we went out in the field and we, we hired a contractor that physically took tests at our locations. You know, we didn't just use reference data. And I, I don't know if PG&E went that far, not to my knowledge, but I, I think customers, that really helped. I mean, you know, and we, we also, we selected uh, – uh, proven technology um, as far as water meters go and, and, the, and the water AMI system, we, we could point to very easily. The, um, the technology that we selected had been deployed for more than 10 years around the East Coast, several utilities that have been using it for billing, and no, no issues with accuracy, you know, because those are some of the perceptions. And then just really, we really um, talked about a robust QA program, and we spent a lot of resources on, on doing the QA from the field installations through the parallel read, through ultimate, ultimate billing and scrubbing of our data before we share it. That, that's been on the forefront all along. So we communicated that stuff in various ways. Our communications department were, you know, Allison and her colleagues, um, and she can talk to some of this probably as well, but they, you know, they went to community meetings, they created pamphlets, they went to, you know, street festivals, they gave out information, we had a website set up, we had a video that we made on what to expect from a water meter exchange, how long will my water be off, and, you know, I actually found that the customers that wanted to opt out, were it was more just of an inconvenience of getting the water meter changed. <laughs> it was just, it was just they didn't want their water to be off for half an hour because they were had to get their kids a bath, and, you know, we really didn't have that many um, that were concerned about accuracy because of our robust QA program, and um, you know that may also have to do with the fact you know the the variance in, in what your water bill typically is versus what your electric and gas bill is. Sure. <laughs> you know. Um, so so you know so there was just, there was good outreach from that. You know we 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 put our QA programs and our RF studies and stuff online, and we had. Um, we had a communications person always available, you know, dedicated to the program to answer questions for, for customers that, you know, had any kind of questions or issues with the installation. 
Well, that was the first half of my interview with Allison Castema and Heather Pohl. They were awesome, and as you'll hear in session 26, they keep it up. I hope you agree with me that their discussion was absolutely fascinating. Learning about the nitty-gritty details of AMI deployment was absolutely awesome. There were lots of takeaways in that first portion of the interview, but I'll focus on two. First, I thought the way SFPUC was really honest about its system and the challenges a contractor might face when installing the system was incredibly important. They were upfront and let bidders know what they'd be getting into. I'm sure that was a key element to the success of the project and hopefully provides a good lesson to any utility considering AMI or any other type of project. If you're honest about the work that needs to be done to deploy, you're probably going to get a better project. Second, the work SFPUC did on a customer education and outreach level was top-notch. You know, from the field RF readings to using the Internet to make that information available, they just did a great job. And it's not easy to do that. If you've read any of my blog posts, you know that in one of the cases I worked on, we spent a lot of time on customer education uh, in a rate case I was involved in. And the result was a 50% rate crease that was approved by the Regulatory Commission without much opposition at all. Uh, so kudos to Allison, Heather, and everyone at SFPUC for their public outreach work to lay the foundation for AMI deployment. Well, you can check the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 25. And please don't be bashful in letting me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on the show notes or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.